0: Welcome to Idea Ireland's first podcast in our series. My name is Fiona DeVoy McAuliffe and I'm your host today. Uh, We're going to start off the series by discussing the general state of floating offshore wind or flow in Ireland. So what are the main opportunities for flow? What are the main challenges we're facing to getting floating wind turbines in our waters? And what is the Idea Ireland project? doing to address these. How can our listeners get involved? My guest today is actually my project colleague, Greg Bowen, Senior Offshore Consultant at Gavin and Doherty Geo Solutions. Welcome, Greg. Hi
1: hey, Fiona. Thanks very much. Glad to be here.
0: I get this question quite often. I guess it's hard for, for people to visualize if they're not in this sort of industry. What is a floating wind turbine, Greg? <laughs> can you help me define it?
1: <laughs> sure, I can give it a go, Fiona. Um, yeah, I think Especially in Ireland anyway, people will be, you know, very familiar with onshore wind turbines. Um, as we've got a lot of projects built here already. So the basic premise there with the onshore wind turbines, obviously, is that the turbines are, you know, embedded into the ground and in those foundations. So then when you take it to offshore, the kind of most mature offshore wind technology we have at the moment is, is referred to as fixed bottom offshore wind. So there are different kind of foundation options available for this. So they can be monopiles or jackets or even gravity based solutions. But the basic concept is the same from onshore in that the wind turbine foundation is either resting on or drilled or driven into the seabed. Mm. Um, you know, so in general, the deeper you go in terms of water depth, the more challenging and expensive installation for these fixed bottom projects is. So I think the deepest we've kind of seen to date for a fixed bottom project has been the Sea Green project in Scotland. So that's at max water depths of around 60 metres. But then when you go to floating wind, it kind of changes a lot. So basically for floating wind, the wind turbine is secured on a platform or a kind of substructure that actually floats in the water so then this platform is then secured to the seabed with anchors and mooring lines rather than having a kind of foundation embedded into the seafloor. So yeah. that kind of obviously is is a big change compared to the fixed bottom yeah. technology we've seen to date.
0: Yeah. And I guess um, what what's the point really if we already have fixed bottom offshore wind or we have uh, other renewable energy um, sources like solar or onshore wind? What's the point, uh, I guess, uh, going for floating offshore wind?
1: Looking at offshore particularly, I've kind of mentioned already around fixed bottom that that kind of maximum depth we've seen is around 60 metres. So I think we kind of expect that this will increase for fixed bottom projects as more projects are developed and and the supply chain kind of grows and evolves. But, you know, once you start getting to 65, 78 a metre water depth, it's going to be very challenging to build these fixed bottom uh, projects from you know an, an engineering perspective and just you know generally very expensive
0: and have I got it but, right that close to maybe 80 percent of our offshore wind resources are actually in areas where the water depth is greater than say 60 meters
1: yeah I've definitely seen kind of figures like that talked about so when you talk about 80 percent of our offshore resource being you know in waters that deep obviously that's a huge kind of potential capacity that we're mm. going to you know, want to take advantage of. We've, uh, you know, everyone's aware, I think, of the huge kind of targets we have in place in terms of decarbonizing our energy system. And, you know, it's going to take, you've mentioned onshore wind, offshore wind, solar, it's going to take a lot of everything to reach the kind of targets we have in place and to get our energy system decarbonized. So we have to take advantage of kind of everything we can. And floating wind provides a great opportunity in that by kind of removing those water depth restrictions we've spoken about with yeah. fixed bottom. And, you know, giving yeah. you access to all that um, good wind energy potential.
0: So in terms of actually getting floating offshore wind turbines in our waters, um, it's still a very immature sector in terms of the technology itself. There's not much consensus, is there, in terms of the the, the different technologies to use for substructures, whether you use a semi-submersible or spar. So, I mean, people are still really coming to terms with what the best technologies are. And what are the other issues potentially um, in moving from fixed offshore wind to floating offshore wind, um, perhaps in terms of port infrastructure, the different needs Mm. for floating, would you say?
1: Um, Yeah, well, you know, it's easy to get carried away, all right, when you talk about all this great potential the floating wind has. But yeah, like you said, there are a lot of challenges um, in terms of, yeah, finding that kind of the best different substructure types for different conditions. But, um, you know, just generally the technology, I think needs to be developed to cope with these more dynamic conditions that are going to be, um, you know, found out further out at sea and greater water depths. You know, modern turbines can have towers of 150 metres plus and blades of, a you know, 100 metres plus, 120 metres plus. So it's not easy to keep this kind of huge infrastructure steady and, and under control in the conditions out at sea. And yeah, like you've mentioned there around um, ports as well, that's a big kind of challenge for floating wind. So, um, you know, we've seen this a lot in Ireland to date already with the kind of plan build out of the fixed bottom phase one projects. We're assessing the kind of port capabilities here and they're found wanting in a lot of cases. You know, you need deep waters and you need long key lengths and, you know, strong bearing capacity, key side and, and good access to the ports and good lay down areas and all this. So for floating wind there's kind of you know more onerous requirements in some cases for you know deeper waters or larger storage areas or bearing capacity so there's also lots of
0: advantages as well really in terms of floating offshore wind compared to fixed wouldn't you say like uh, from the perspective of being further from shore there's less visual impact there's less noise impact as well isn't there?
1: Yeah, like we've said, a lot of it comes down to that kind of water depth restriction. So once you kind of remove that, you you can go into deeper waters and obviously generally that's further away from shore. So, you know, that's great to kind of lessen visual impact because even though I myself kind of like the look of offshore turbines, some people would rather that they were kind of, you know, further from shore um, and a bit more out of sight. Yeah. And as well, okay. they
0: have, um, uh, logistic challenges in terms of actually getting that, that extra distance from shore to install and maintain them. But, um, they can also have lower installation decommissioning costs because you can actually tow them with, with smaller vessels, uh, compared to the fixed offshore wind, isn't it?
1: Yeah, that definitely seems to be a great opportunity. You know, we see with the fixed bottom projects, obviously you need to kind of bring the turbine out to where it's going to be. And then you need to do the actual construction works out at the site where the, you know, the the uh, foundation is drilled or driven into the ground um, or into the seabed at the project site. Whereas with floating wind, um, ideally you can kind of just assemble the turbine and the floating substructure Key side at the port and then kind of tow it out to position. Um, so that kind of removes the need for these, you know, massive installation vessels that are needed for fixed bottom. Whereas you can just kind of tow out the substructure with the turbine in place and then kind of bring it to site where it can be anchored and moored in place. And, you know, it it removes a lot of need for works offshore, which, you know, also brings, you know, a lot of time saving and safety benefits and things like that. So definitely. where
0: we are globally at the minute, I I guess um, I was looking at some of the figures and the UK seems to have the biggest pipeline of floating wind projects in the world at the moment. I think it's about 32 gigawatts. But at the minute we have, is it three or four operational floating offshore wind farms in the world? We've got Highwind Scotland, Windfloat Atlantic, Kincardine and Highwind Tampen now.
1: Yes, I think Europe's kind of seen as the kind of world leader for floating wind at the moment, even though other places are, 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 have big plans in place to kind of catch up in that regard. But yeah, I think you're right there. So uh, Scotland's kind of generally seen as the first floating offshore wind farm in the world. So that was, I think in 2017 in Scotland that was built. So it's just a 30 megawatt, five turbine project, but you know, obviously huge for the industry at the time. Mm. Um, then in 2020, I think when that wind float Atlantic. Projects was built in Portugal. And yeah, like you said, we've had the Kincardine project in Scotland in 2021. And I think Kiwan-Tampen in Norway, which is around 90 megawatts, was just, I think it might just be finished construction. Just and about, so, yeah. you know, all in all, that's still less than 200 megawatts in Europe.
0: And I guess just to bring it back to Ireland, uh, I, I think it's probably a very important moment for us to get involved in this industry. I, I just had a quote there from Noel coniff uh, CEO of Wind Energy Ireland. He says, there's enough renewable energy off our southern and western coasts to not only meet Ireland's needs, but to also become a major contributor to decarbonizing Europe's energy supply. And this is how we become a true climate action leader. So, a real sense of urgency there. And I think what he's talking about is the fact that we have um, our offshore wind resource on the south and west coasts of Ireland, which are deep waters, which would mm. require us to use floating offshore wind to actually exploit our resources. And we could uh, use that to, to pioneer floating offshore wind, um, not only in Ireland, but globally, um, and it, produce enough e- electricity for ourselves, but also export it to Europe.
1: Yeah, it's a great quote from Noel. Um, and yeah, it is interesting to look at it from the Irish perspective because, you know, it's something we might discuss. But the first kind of batch of projects here expected to be fixed bottom projects, um, mainly along the East Coast and one on the West Coast. Um, and then some maybe on the South Coast for that kind of phase two that's but then longer term yeah like you said most of our offshore wind potential lies kind of on the southern and western coasts and like you say most of that is in in deep waters which could, you know will most likely need a lot of floating wind to to take advantage of so you know it's particularly um important for Ireland to kind of monitor how this industry kind of develops and like drive it ourselves as well so we can be at the kind of the forefront um as the kind of technology scales up from you know we're not quite at commercial scale wind farm levels yet well high wind camping is a bit of a kind of transition mm. into commercial scale I think but you know in the future we'll start seeing those you know larger scale um, floating wind farms and it's important that Ireland is kind of involved in the industry from the outset I think.
0: Yeah definitely and in, just in terms of where we are at for marine spatial planning and and, and what is on the agenda at the moment. As you said, we're, we're focusing on the East Coast. Um, but that's really fixed offshore wind currently. So what, what sort of timeline are we looking at in terms of floating offshore wind projects?
1: The tag we're aiming for now is five gigawatts offshore wind by 2030. And that's going to be all fixed bottom offshore wind. So that's going to consist of phase one projects, which these are the projects that secured maritime area consents in. December 22, and they also took part in the first offshore renewable energy support scheme auction, which is basically the subsidy support auction for offshore wind in Ireland. Phase 2, Coddling Wind Park, Dublin Array, North Irish Sea Array, Oriel Wind Park, and Skird Rocks. So we're aiming for 5 gigawatts of offshore wind by 2030, and so that's going to be made up of just fixed-bottom offshore wind projects, and it'll be made up of Phase 1 and Phase 2 projects. For 2030 as well, we have an additional target, which is to have two gigawatts of offshore wind in development for non-grid use. So that could be for something like green hydrogen, for example. And it's thought that in this kind of phase three is where floating wind might start to come into play in Ireland. Um, so we should hopefully see some projects under development by 2030. Mm-hmm. And then longer term, like we've said, there's kind of great potential there for um, a huge build out of, of floating offshore wind in Ireland.
0: In conjunction with that, there's also a lot of, of movement um, in terms of developing the supply chain, developing the grid infrastructure and capacity that we have in Ireland. I, I know that the air grid uh, shaping our offshore energy future uh, plan, they're they're focusing on the um, grid infrastructure on the East Coast to facilitate uh, the phase one offshore wind farms. Um, and, and that will progress, I presume, down to the, the grid on the South Coast.
1: Yeah, well, there's a kind of interesting change of approach happening there as well. So I've mentioned kind of phase one and phase two there. So phase one projects have been developed under what's known as a kind of developer led model, which is where the developer kind of chooses the the site and does all the kind of survey work and desktop studies that are needed to get a good picture of the site. And then they kind of go on to build the project themselves as long as well as the kind of grid infrastructure that's needed to link the project back to shore. But then for phase two, um, Air Grid, which is the transmission system operator here in Ireland, they're actually going to build the grid for these projects. So like you said, they've released Shaping Our Offshore Energy Future um, recently, which kind of includes the plans for grid development on the south coast, which will be to kind of facilitate this first phase two project, which will be built off the south coast. Mm -hmm. But this is going to be under a kind of plan led model, which means the government kind of identifies the sites themselves and provides um, the developers more detail on the site, which the developers can then use to, you know, get a picture of the site themselves and they can, you know, do do some site design and get preliminary pricing which they can use to kind of bid into an auction and then the successful developer will build the project on that site um, but airgrid are going to actually build the grid connection which will go from the project um, back to shore.
0: As well as that, there's lots of different uh, development plans in place uh, for the different ports around the country. The Port of Cork, Shannon Foynes, and Ross Lair, Europort, recently received funding to develop an ORE, Offshore Renewable Energy Facility as well, didn't they? And there's the Green Atlantic
1: yeah, so the, there's loads going on on that front as well. So people might actually be interested to check out a report that GDG actually recently completed along with Wind Energy Ireland, which is another of our project partners here. So that's called, um it was the National Ports Study, which basically looked at all the ports in Ireland that were kind of have plans to be involved in the offshore wind industry and just assessing their capabilities to see kind of, you know, where ports are strong, where they're weak, and what the potential is for them to... Support the development of offshore wind here in Ireland. Um, and yeah, the Green Atlantic at Money Point project is a really interesting one you've mentioned. So that's a kind of ESB project to have a floating offshore wind farm off the coast of County Clare. So this is part of a kind of long term plan to transform Money Point into a green energy hub. So they'll include for a one point four gigawatt floating offshore wind farm off the coast of carrying really ambitious plans there and, and great to see them in place. And hopefully it's something we can kinda see become, you know, reality in Mm -hmm. the future.
0: So, I mean, there is lots going on, isn't there? Um, Even though we're at quite an immature stage uh, for the industry in Ireland. Just to bring this back now to the Idea Ireland project itself and what we're uh, planning to do to help drive the development of floating offshore wind in Ireland, um, so, listeners, I, I guess we're we're trying to produce a long term roadmap for the sustainable development of flow um, in Ireland beyond 2030. And Greg is working uh, within the project team, particularly looking at stakeholder engagement and marine spatial planning um, to to look at best practices and and see how um, they would fit into the Irish context, particularly. Uh, Greg, can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, maybe just to give people a brief description of marine spatial planning. Um, it's basically the tool that's used to manage the use of the seas and oceans kind of coherently and to ensure that human activities here take place in in the most kind of efficient, safe and sustainable way. So, you know, obviously there's lots of competing uses for the ocean. So not only offshore wind, but you've got things like shipping, fishing, um, marine protected areas, military zones, um, oil and gas, et cetera. So marine spatial planning basically involves looking at the ocean space you have and the areas you have available and as well as the activities that need to play, take place there and just kind of coordinating all this to kind of maximize efficiencies, minimize any sort of conflicts and ensure, you know, environmental protection is kept paramount. So this obviously becomes more important as we're building out more and more offshore wind and, um you know, we're using the space we have more. It's important to kind of do this in a coordinated fashion. So basically for Work Package 4, we're looking to kind of speak with countries that have done this already or are kind of going through the process of marine spatial planning just to see you know how are they planning for this big build out of offshore wind that's coming down the line what sort of practices they use what you know what marine spatial planning body do they have in place and um, what sort of sites have they identified what sort of activities can coexist together Um things like that so you know we've got a great resource there with the the IEA task through the Idea Ireland project so we can speak with experts in countries like, um, you know, we've already mentioned the UK is big for floating wind, but other places like, you know, Norway, South Korea, the US, Portugal, Spain, we've got access to a lot of these experts and through the Idea Ireland project that we're just going to kind of try to speak with and, you know, see what best practices in terms of marine spatial planning um, and how countries are you know going to coordinate this build out of offshore wind so it's been really interesting we've kind of started interviews already and we're um, planning to do a lot more of this over the course of the year just to kind of get a good picture of what's been done across the globe regards to floating wind.
0: Yeah and I guess we want to slot in what we're learning from this project in what's happening in Ireland at the moment providing recommendations and giving feedback so that people can uh, build their policies and get floating offshore wind going faster. (laughs) And I guess another thing that we're doing in the project is looking at the supply chain in Ireland, particularly we've mentioned ports before, but also getting existing businesses involved, um, so they can see the potential um, ways they could be involved in this industry, um, maybe adapt to be involved in this industry as well. So Another thing that we're going to be doing in this project is, is looking at the supply chain and doing surveys with stakeholders. And so we can get an idea of what the realistic local content requirements are, uh, the financial supports needed for infrastructure investments and the sort of timelines maybe for, that are required for that. Uh, what policies or programs could help maximize local content as well. And what sort of impact this could have for Ireland. I mean, in terms of creating jobs. Um, and bringing in uh, new markets. So um, we want to build that into our roadmap to inform policies alongside the marine spatial planning that Greg's talked about. I guess the message for me, Greg, folks, is we we want to produce this long-term roadmap um, and we'd like uh, stakeholders who might be listening to get involved and have your say um, so we can develop something that's really relevant and useful for Ireland. So... I think we might leave it there for today, Greg. Uh, thanks for joining me for our first podcast episode.
1: <laughs> thanks, Janet. Yeah, yeah. Enjoyed it.
0: Thanks very much. Uh, listeners, I hope you found it interesting and informative. And I think what we've talked about today, it's clear that there's a really exciting time for the offshore wind industry in Ireland generally, uh, particularly a defining moment for Ireland in terms of potentially leading the development of flow globally. So... Please keep up to date with our podcast series. We'll be uh, having a, a podcast uh, every three months and we're releasing our first three potentially back-to-back. So keep an eye out for a new podcasts that come out. The Idea Ireland Project is funded by the Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland. And you can see our website for further details on the project to sign up to our mailing list where we'll send the latest news on results as well as information and invites to participate in events and surveys, workshops, etc., can also email us at idea-irl at ucc.ie and you can follow us on LinkedIn. Just to say, we do our best to ensure the information in our discussions is accurate and up to date. However, please bear in mind that discussions are based on the current opinions and assumptions of the interviewer and guests using the information available at the time of recording. Therefore, we cannot guarantee accuracy and listeners should verify information independently. Thank you.